Well, howdy, neighbors. Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Department of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. I'm Benny Ramatka with Ramatka Ranch in Hamilton, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. I've got another episode of Texas Ag Today loaded up and ready to roll for you. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, the Texas cotton harvest now stands at 40% complete. But the cotton that's left in the field isn't looking so great. We'll take a closer look at that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. If ranchers want to use the feed additives known as ionophores, what are the guidelines to follow? I'm James Hunt, and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today as our series on ionophores continues. U.S. Department of Agriculture funds to help expand agricultural exports through the Commodity Credit Corporation. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have reaction from the U.S. Meat Export Federation on Texas Ag Today. This is James Duncan in the East Texas County Fairs, world hunting, and cool weather. All is well in East Texas. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The latest Texas crop progress and condition report is out. It shows that 40% of the Texas cotton crop has now been harvested. Adam Hickson is an agronomist with BASF out of Lubbock. He says the condition of the Texas panhandle and Southern Plains crop is kind of all over the place right now. Up in the northern area, they had a lot of early weather conditions that either hailed out their cotton or they lost it due to maybe it almost, in some cases, being too wet, struggled to even get it up and emerged. So I would say our cotton, let's say north of Amarillo area, is probably going to be down as far as uh, acreage standpoint. Where I really saw a good crop would be, you take that I-27 corridor that splits the panhandle uh, north-south and you go east of that, that's probably the best looking cotton that I've seen because they tend to get more of that uh, rainfall if it did occur in the summer and really kept that crop going even in those really high temperatures. Hickson says dryland cotton didn't have much of a chance this year with the summer drought, but some fields might actually make it. 
I think we may have some make it in that particular area there on the east side of the uh, Texas Panhandle. But as you move, let's say south and west, it just got way too hot and uh, dry during the months of July and August to really sustain growth. And uh, yeah, I don't think that's going to be able to be harvested. The condition ratings for the crop that's left in the field shape up like this. 10% of the cotton crop rated good to excellent, 24% rated fair, and a big 66% rated poor to very poor. USDA is helping veterans get into agriculture. To connect transitioning service members, veterans, and military spouses interested in farming and ranching, with the valuable resources that may help them along the way, the U.S. Department of Agriculture will host a two-day webinar October 31st and November 1st. According to USDA, in the free webinar, participants will explore the essentials that are required to start a career in farming and ranching, and they'll learn how to connect with USDA programs and services. The webinar will be from 9 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. October 31st and November 1st. A link to register is available on the USDA Veterans website. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dommel. The National Veterinary Services Laboratories have confirmed the presence of highly pathogenic avian influenza here in Texas. It was found in domesticated swans in Nueces County. That's the Corpus Christi area. HBIA is circulating among wild birds in Texas as fall migration begins for water birds and waterfowl. If you are using ionophores, there are some guidelines you should consider following. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. Today we continue our series about ionophores with Texas A&M AgriLife beef cattle specialist Jason Smith. As we discussed in our previous reports, Dr. Smith is recommending that Texas High Plains ranchers consider using these feed additives as a way of conserving their grazing lands. Dr. Smith told us previously, research shows the use of ionophores can help reduce the forage intake among grazing cattle by about 8%. In this report, we hear about the guidelines producers need to follow in order to be legally compliant and safe. Here's one good note. Dr. Smith says ionophores are not categorized as medically important. And what that means is they are not used in human medicine and they're not closely related to a drug that's used in human medicine. And as a consequence of that, they don't require a veterinary feed directive for their use unless they're being used in combination with another drug that does. And so they are still available over the counter. There are regulations for ionophores, but on that issue, producers get the information they need when they purchase ionophores. Any compliance information that producers need to know will be outlined in the product label. And so I encourage producers just to read and be familiar with the product label. It will provide the directions, the guidelines, everything they need to know to be able to use that product in a way that is allowed by the regulations. And one more note. These drugs do not require a withdrawal period because the animal essentially does not retain a residue of the drug. Dr. Smith also says producers need to make sure they are feeding ionophores in the proper amounts and also keep ionophores away from horses as they can be toxic to those animals. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. USDA is providing funding to expand international markets for American farmers and ranchers. Tom Nicoletti gets reaction from the U.S. Meat Export Federation. 
The U.S. Department of Agriculture has announced it will make funds available through the Commodity Credit Corporation for a regional agricultural promotion program aimed at expanding opportunities for U.S. agricultural products in international markets. U.S. Meat Export Federation President and CEO Dan Hallstrom welcomes the news and says the investment is very timely as the Agricultural Trade Promotion Program is reaching its end. That finishes up next year. Uh, USMEF's actually uh, finished up our program, the ATP program, earlier this year. And that has just been phenomenal in terms of the opportunity to create additional value for our members and our pork and beef producers uh, all over the country. The fact that there's another opportunity here will allow USMEF and other cooperators and other parts of agriculture in the U.S. to maintain some of this momentum in the export markets. Hallstrom adds that additional resources are especially beneficial in emerging markets, allowing U.S. agriculture to diversify its export destinations. The ATP, or the Agricultural Trade Promotion Program, allowed us to not only overcome some of the trade obstacles that we had at that time, but allowed us to go into some of the newer markets around the world and really establish a footprint. Colombia, for example, where we really were able to get aggressive. Also, the Philippines was another area on beef and pork where we were able to get aggressive. We would have been involved in these markets anyway, but not nearly to the extent that we ended up being able to invest in those markets. These emerging markets are where really the opportunity is long-term. Whatever we can do today to invest for the future, there's no doubt that there'll be payback over time. That's Dan Hallstrom, president of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. I'm Tom Nicoletti at the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Cool weather, county fairs, and squirrel season are all happening in East Texas. James Duncan has an update from Marshall. Most of agriculture in East Texas is coasting right now because we're dealing with timber, livestock, and forage production, and the produce growers, well, uh, they're just waiting on the turnip grains to come in. So that's about it. But we just say, let them grow east. We'll uh, sit by on the country stores, the cafes, visit for a little while, talk about the market, and watch it. Well, haying is done. Just a few stragglers left getting those last little bits dabbed up. Coral hunting is still a big sport venture here in East Texas, and it has been productive. With these cooler days that we've had really made it more enjoyable. The county fair is kind of wrapping up right now. Craig County, Rupture County, Yamboree, things like that. We're just out of mode on that because they're just closing out this week, moving on to the next big ones around the area, and uh, we've had good ones. They have been most successful everyone that we have visited. Now, we hear reports of army worms in some parts, but we have not had that problem to any uh, significant degree here in this part of East Texas anyway, and we hope it remains so throughout the year. Hey, it looks like it's going to be a good one. We're looking for deer season coming, and that's going to be good, and we'll have a great harvest according to the Texas Park and Wildlife personnel that we deal with. This is James Duncan reporting from East Texas for Texas Ag Today. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is urging game bird hunters to take certain precautions as another case of highly pathogenic avian influenza has been confirmed in Texas. I'm Jessica Dolmel and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And the owner of the Budweiser Clydesdale has announced they will no longer cut the tails of those horses. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
Howdy neighbors, Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Department of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. Texas has lost over 2 million acres of agricultural land in the last 25 years. That's a threat to family farms, our economy, and our food supply. This is State Representative Dwayne Burns, and I'm here with my friend, Super Bowl champ, and Dallas Cowboy legend, Jay Novacek. You know, I've been a real cowboy my whole life, so I'm asking everyone to go out and vote for Proposition 1, the Right to Farm Amendment that this guy, Dwayne Burns, actually wrote. Whether you're a cowboy or not, this is important to all Texans. We all need access to safe and affordable food in the future. Proposition 1 protects our family farms and ranches, so they can grow our food right here in Texas. On November 7th, please head to the polls and vote for Proposition 1, the Food for Texas Amendment. Yeah, come on, Texas. Let's do it Jay's way. Vote for Prop 1 and then spread the word with your friends and family. Learn more about Proposition 1 at right2farmtexas.com. That's right, the number 2, farmtexas.com. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Anheuser-Busch, the owner of the Budweiser Clydesdales, has announced it will no longer cut the tails of those horses. Dr. Bob Judd has more on that practice. Anheuser-Busch indicated that earlier this year they had discontinued the tail amputation process. The practice of amputation of tail docking is an old tradition initially used to keep the horse's tail from becoming tangled in the harness or equipment they were pulling. But Equus Magazine indicates today it is mainly done for cosmetic purposes. For public events, the tails on the Budweiser Clydesdales are formed into a bun and adorned with ribbons. Dr. Kate Hepworth-Warren, Assistant Professor of Veterinary Medicine at North Carolina State University, indicates docking of the tail can be done surgically or by placing a ligature around the tail to cause the tail tissue to die and slough off. Rubber rings or other binders are used as a ligature to cut off the blood supply to the tail and cause it to die. Surgical removal must be performed by a licensed veterinarian in states where the procedure is legal, as it is not legal in all states. Dr. Hepworth Warren goes on to say that pain associated with the procedure is not the primary welfare concern, as the concern is it leaves the horse with the inability to swat flies or use the tail to communicate. The practice of tail docking or amputation is banned in 11 states in the United States and is banned in many European countries. Budweiser's parent company is in Belgium, and Belgium does ban tail docking. Docking is condemned by the American Veterinary Medical Association and the American Association of Equine Practitioners, indicating that the procedure does not contribute to the health or welfare of the horse, as a tail is important for a horse's welfare. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is urging game bird hunters to take extra precautions as highly pathogenic avian influenza has now been found here in Texas. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. Two domesticated swans have tested positive for highly pathogenic avian influenza in Nueces County on the Texas coast. 
HPAI is a highly contagious virus that transmits easily between wild and domestic birds. It can be spread directly through bird-to-bird -bird contact or indirectly through contact with infected items like feed, clothing, and equipment. According to the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, as is expected by disease experts, HPAI is circulating among wild birds in Texas as fall migration begins for water birds and waterfowl. Wild birds may be infected with HPAI but show no signs of illness. As these birds migrate, they may carry the disease to new areas, potentially exposing other birds and domestic poultry to the virus. The transmission risk of avian influenza from infected birds to people remains low, but the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department encourages the public to limit all unnecessary contact with wild birds. The department encourages game bird hunters to consider the following precautions. Dispose of carcasses properly. Wear gloves when processing birds and waterfowl. Avoid consumption or processing of any sick bird. Clean and disinfect tools between carcasses. And cook meat to proper temperatures. If you notice wild birds with symptoms consistent with HPAI, contact your local TPWD wildlife biologists. Symptoms of HPAI may vary based on the strain of the virus. Symptoms may include sudden death, lack of energy or appetite, nasal discharge, soft-shelled or misshapen eggs, coughing, swelling of the head, eyelids, comb, wattles, and hawks. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It is time to check the markets. We'll be back with a complete look at the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Howdy, neighbors. Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Park Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. Texas has lost over 2 million acres of agricultural land in the last 25 years. That's a threat to family farms, our economy, and our food supply. That's right. And there's a huge digital divide in our state. There are still large parts of rural Texas that have little to no access to high-speed internet. I'm State Representative Dwayne Burns. And I'm State Representative Trent Ashby. We're here to ask you to vote for Proposition 1 and Proposition 8. I wrote Prop 1 to protect your right to farm and ranch. It will prevent the abuse of regulatory power, protect the backbone of our rural economy, and ensure safe and affordable food for all Texans. And I wrote Proposition 8, which will create the Broadband Infrastructure Fund to address important upgrades for public safety and provide resources for broadband access in rural hospitals and schools. Let's head to the polls November 7th and vote for Prop 1 and Prop 8. Political advertising paid for by Texas Farm Bureau and Texas Broadband Now PAC. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Cattle futures finished higher on Wednesday. Both live and feeder cattle climbed into positive territory. On the close, we saw October live cattle up at $1.12, 181.12. The December up 80, 
179.42. February up 65 cents at 181.50. Feeder cattle higher. October feeders up 55, 239.97. November feeder cattle up 262 at 238.05, with January up $1.70, 236.55. Cash fed cattle market seeing some light trade so far this week. We've seen some sales up north. One to two bucks lower, where live sales range from 183 to 185. Dress sales mostly at 290. Here in the south, feedlots asking 184 to 185. However, packers only bidding 180. Boxed beef was mixed Wednesday choice up a dollar 71, 307.69. Select down 237 at 281.63. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Riley Rhodes, Live Oak Livestock, sells cattle in Three Rivers on Mondays. Riley, how did he go? I ended up with 2,501 hit today. Uh, so uh, had some good volume, got a pretty good market test. Got along pretty good with our replacement cows. Uh, pairs brought anywhere from 1150 up to 2000 uh, Had some bred cows uh, anywhere from 1050 up to 1850 The Packer cows and bulls were pretty much steady with last week, 94 to $1.02 on your high-yielding cows, 88 to 96 on your breakers, 48 to 76 on your uh, canners. High-yielding packer bulls, 110 to 118. Low to medium-yielding bulls, 92 to 110. A calf market uh, sure uh, had a pretty good correction in it this week uh, versus last week. Uh, this is the down features and everything that's been going on. I kind of quoted it. Uh, some of the lighter calves, probably 10 to 15 cheaper and some of the yearlings, 6 to 10 cheaper. The 2 to 3 weight choice steers, 228 to 282. Heifer mates, 218 to 264. 3 to 4 weight choice steers, 218 to 274. Heifer mates 208 to 252. Four to five weight choice steers 210 to 266. Heifer mates 204 to 248. Five to six weight choice steers 206 to 258. Heifer mates $2 to 234. Six to seven weight choice steers 202 to 234. Heifer mates 192 to 212. And the seven to eight weight cattle, uh, your choice steers $2 to 226. And the heifer mates 190 to 208. So uh, pleased with it. Like I said, had a lot of good cattle here today. And the, the good ones are still still bringing lots of money. There's, you know, a pretty big uh, difference when the market makes a dip like this between the plainer cattle and the, and the crossier cattle than the, than the front end. So, but uh, a little correction in the market, but uh, still selling good. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you. 361-786-2553 is the office. 361-813-6650 is the cell. LiveOakLivestock.com is the web. Neighbor, thanks for listening to Walking the Pins here on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm your host, Larry Marble. You're listening to us right this second on Texas Ag Today. Thank you, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs finished higher Wednesday. December hogs up a dollar twelve sixty seven fifty. February hogs up a dollar twenty two at seventy seventy. Class three milk was lower. Nearby October down two cents sixteen eighty six a hundred weight. With November milk down fourteen at seventeen fifty three a hundred. Cotton market managed another higher close on Wednesday. We've got some short covering and bottom pickers coming into the market buying contracts, and that pushed the market a bit higher. Traders also keeping a close eye on the weather forecast. It looks like we have a blast of Arctic air coming right here into Texas next week. Traders waiting to see what effect that's going to have on the cotton crop that's left in the field. December cotton up 88 points, 83.81. March up 83 at 85.51. May cotton up 87 points, 86.44. 
Corn and wheat both close lower. December corn dropping four at 480 a bushel. March corn down three and a half, 494 and a half. May down three cents, 503 a bushel. Hard and soft wheat both ending in the red. December Kansas City wheat down 14 cents, 649. December Chicago wheat down 12. 568 and a half. In the energy markets, December natural gas was up a nickel, 337. December West Texas crude up a dollar 48 at 85.22 a barrel. The financial markets lower Wednesday afternoon. The Dow down 110 points, 33,030. The Nasdaq down 328 at 12,811. The S&P down 62 at 4,184. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. My name's Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.